All right. Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Deuteronomy 14 and 15. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Deuteronomy 14 and 15. Camp registrations next week. Cut off. Please bring them in. And of course, you know, by cut off means we'll probably let you bring them in whenever you want to, but absolutely cut off next week or whenever you get it to us. All right. As uh, Moses is declaring all that God has for the nation of Israel to this next generation moving into the promised land, he covers several practical things. Um, it's nice when you get those. Um, not that it's all impractical, but for the most part, this is here's what you do every day. You know? And as a Christian, when you read the New Testament and Paul writes one of those letters, it's like, look, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Do this. You know? Thank you. That's, I just need someone to tell me. And this is one of those times he's going to let them know. Um, the same rules that I told your parents, the same rules I'm telling you. I want this to be consistent, and I don't change, depending on the generation. It doesn't change. Um, um, this has been 40 years, and I still want to do the same things I used to do, um, because God's standards don't change. He doesn't change. Our morals may change, but His don't, and so we stay consistent with God's Word. So He's going to cover several things. The first one's going to be mourning, when we mourn for our dead. You are the children of of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. I don't want you looking like everybody else. We're reading the Old Testament. There are some folks that don't think you should ever read the Old Testament. We're New Testament people. We just need to read the New Testament tonight. My, I have a real hard time with that. Jesus said, the volume of the book is written of me. That means all of it. So it's all about him. And how do you know if Jesus completed all things, what he completed if you don't read the Old Testament? How do you know what he's done for you? How do you understand fully the implications? It's, it, we're going we're to have a wonderful section here where we have a prophecy, and we have Jesus referring to something in the Old Testament. And if you don't know all of it, you don't get the picture. You don't understand it. So when we go through this, you're like, well, wait, we don't cut ourselves for the dead anymore, J.D. There's a lot to this. He expounds upon it. Jesus builds upon it. A lot of the things in the New Testament that Jesus seemingly changes about the Old Testament, he doesn't. He completes it. He fulfills it. None of it's bad. None of it's thrown out. It's just changed. It's, it's completed. It's fulfilled. And so I'll give you an example of this, this mourning for the dead. I don't want you, that's what the pagans do. They cut themselves, you know, because they have no hope. They don't know if their God's happy or not. They don't know if old Bob died, and we don't know if he's with, you know, Saboba or whatever they worship. So we're going to cut ourselves to make ourselves more appealing to this God who's very sketchy. We don't know where he stands. He says, you're my people. He starts off with that. You are the children of the Lord your God. I want you to be different. I don't want you to be like the pagans. I don't want you to mourn like the pagans do. So give me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Paul writes to this church, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus or are dead. I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to mourn like they do. We call it a celebration of life. I think it's a little difficult. We miss them, but we don't mourn like we're never going to see them again, like we don't know where they've gone. As parents, that's our hope. 
to usher our kids into the kingdom of God, to bring them to the throne of Jesus. That's my hope. As parents, as, or as a child with my parents, I have hopefully they know the Lord or I've led them to the Lord to where when they die, I know where they are. So when I go to the funeral, I look at them and I say, I'll see you later. I don't think about all the things I didn't say or all the things I didn't do like I should have done when they were here. I don't mourn like that. I'm like, great. You were where exactly I'd hope you'd be, right at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Mission accomplished. And now I just wish I was there. I don't wish you were here. I wish I was there because I'm going there. And so we mourn like, if anything, we mourn for ourselves. I can't wait to get there to be with you again. I'm going to see you again. And so Jesus encourages them, or Paul does, um, through his word, don't mourn like the others do. We mourn differently. We look different. It's a great opportunity for us. In John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. I want to bring that up because that's what Satan does. Satan, whatever form he takes, whether that's in Hinduism, Buddhism, or every other ism out there, wants people to harm themselves. He wants you to fall apart. He wants you to be broken. He wants you to be crushed. When God, our Father, is always building us up, always lifting us up, always edifying us, always letting us know that's why Christ came. We were in trouble. We were dead in our sins. He didn't want that. He sent a Savior to save us from that situation, from our sin. Anytime someone, every time you have that feeling that comes over you to do harm to yourself or to think other than that, it, it's not of God. It's of Satan. And that's why God starts off with, you are the children of the Lord your God. I don't want you to cut yourself. I don't want you to harm yourself. I'm your dad. I love you. I want to build you up. I don't want to tear you down. Satan loves to kill and destroy. But God raises us. Verse 3. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having a hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax. For they, are, they chew the cud, but they do not have cloven hooves, they are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, nor shall, and you shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales, and whatever does not have fins and scales you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. Okay, so some rules. But let me give you a quick, I don't know what you call this. Everything was fine when God made it, and then we sinned and then everything got broken. And so we have some rules that keep us from harm. But Jesus completed it. He fulfilled that. He made everything clean again. Let me read to you. In Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry. So it's about noon. It's about lunchtime. 
that he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and letting down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. That's the dietary law. It's changed. It's completed. It's fulfilled. This is absolutely true, what we're reading this morning, but it's also not been completed yet. But when Christ came, look, it's all good now. You can eat anything you want to now. And we'll do some more scriptures here to to understand that. Um, We can get caught up in that. Boy, we're, we're very susceptible to the biblical diet. As Christians, we, oh, there's the biblical diet. No, <laughs> you're not reading all the Bible then, all the Bible. Let me give you the biblical diet. I'm going to jump right to it. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Here's the biblical diet. If you want to follow that, write, write a book. Make a million dollars just on this one verse. They could open the book. There'd be tons of pages, and they open it up and just have this verse in there, and it's good. You're good. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Here's one of the things you're going to see from these folks. That's how you identify them. They forbid to marry. And commending, or commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Those who believe and know the truth don't abstain from foods. We don't need to. It's all been cleansed. And here's how he finishes up. Here's the biblical diet part. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it has been sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So here's your meal. I don't have to wonder. Oh, there's milk, there's dairy, and there's meat. I can't eat them both at the same time. That's a Jewish custom. Can't do it. Absolutely can. Here's how I do it. Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you, and I pray that you bless it. And eat. And we're done, and everything's good. Now, everything in moderation. I do have a story. Pastor Chuck, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, founder, was in you know, school, and he and his guys went out for ice cream shakes afterwards. And most of you know the story, but I'm going to say it again anyway. And they went there, and they said, okay, who's going to bless these? And Chuck said, you can't bless these. You're just going to have to take your, take your chances with this stuff. He was kidding, of course, but... Everything in moderation, but that's, that's the dietary prayer. You don't have to worry about what to eat on Fridays. Sorry, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's okay. But nothing makes you more holy. Nothing keeps you. Nothing makes you closer to God. That's the point. I'm, I have Christ. I have Jesus. I can't get any closer to him than that. I cannot improve upon what Jesus has done for me at the cross. <laughs> I'm there. And to think that if I don't eat this one thing on Fridays might make me a little more acceptable to God is absolutely absurd and blasphemous because it diminishes what Christ has done at the cross. It means that it's not fulfilled. I have to do something to add to it. I can't. I'm not supposed to. So biblical diet, just pray and receive it. You go in the mission field, you're going to learn to pray a lot over your food. <laughs> not because it's bad or spoiled or anything like that. It's just unusual, sometimes a little different. There's legs still attached in some of these things. 
You just pray that God would help you with the gag reflex. You can swallow and follow through because it's just a different texture. Good stuff. Good protein. <laughs> uh, but it's okay. You receive it with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that these people are giving me their best, whoever they are. And, are, and that's what they do when you're out in the mission field. They'll bring you the best that they have in their house. And for you to look at it and say, no, I can't eat that. That's wrong. Get back on the boat. <laughs> Go home. You're not prepared. You know, you thank them. Oh, thank you. And you pray, mm, you know, Lord help, kind of thing. <laughs> Someone was telling me, I think it was, was, they just leave the, was it, is it uh, David Spencer said, they just leave the milk out until it spoils, and then they drink it. Anybody do that? Grab that jug out of the fridge? Remember when there were cartons and you couldn't see that it was solid? And you felt the clunk when it hit the bottom? Anybody do that? <clears throat> <gasps> to the sink you go. But to them, it's like, here, you know. Oh, chunky milk, yes, with thanksgiving, biblical, biblical diet. Not only is this so important that Christ completed it, we read Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, but when paper's at a premium and it's difficult to come up with parchment, right? In chapter 11, they write the entire story again. And then in three other places in the epistles, they relate this story. Okay, do you think it's an important issue? that God would write it five different times in the New Testament. Here's why. Because he's not telling Peter he can eat everything now. That's not really the point, although he can, and it is part of it. The point is Gentiles have been cleansed. Don't be afraid to go to the Gentiles to minister Christ to them because they're clean. Don't call them uncommon. Don't walk like you can't touch Gentiles anymore like you Jews used to do. No, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no female. There is no male. There is no slave. There is no free. It's, we're cleansed. And so he writes that on that purpose. So we have to understand it's the same thing. Now, there's other things that he throws in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense, either to the Jew or to the Greek or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. If you're a vegetarian, and I know it, then I don't barbecue steaks when you come over to my house for dinner. Ha, ha, ha. That's for my benefit. That doesn't help you at all. No, we have whatever you vegetarians eat. Lots of jokes run through my mind right now, but I'm not going to say them. And he tells us not to judge each other, whether you do or whether you don't. So in other words, vegetarian, you don't judge me for eating a steak. It's got a face. God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So you've got a problem with God. You don't have a problem with people. God said, go kill it and eat it. That's an issue then for you. Be freed up from that. Um, animals are food. Um, and pets sometimes, but mostly really good food. So don't judge me when I eat my steak. But likewise, hey, carnivores, we don't judge the herbivores out there, okay, omnivores, I don't know what they are. Um, let them be that way, it's okay, but you do it unto the, to the glory of God, you know, you do it for God. I, I really feel like, for me, it's a conscience sink, I can't do that. Great, we'll eat whatever's most comfortable for you, because I don't care, I can, I can gorge when I get home, but for now, whatever. Um, and Paul wanted them to have that heart for each other. So when it comes to this dietary thing, please understand, 
He's saying, you Jews, I want you to be different from the world. I want you to eat certain things. There's health reasons behind all this, but that's not really the point. But there are health reasons for doing this. This is what I want you to look like. I want you to eat and I want you to be consistent. Verse 11, all clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after their kinds. Every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds. The little owl. It's a little generic. The screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the curon vulture, whatever that is, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron, uh, after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. I want to know what a hoopoe is. Is that a hippo? Do you think they just, I don't know, hard to catch one of them. We're going to have hippo, hoopoe tonight. Either way, you can eat the other birds, but not those. On Noah's Ark, you'll notice that he takes two of every of the unclean, but he takes seven pairs of the other, um, of, the, of, the, of the clean animals. That's because they offered them up as sacrifices, if you understood. Those are things that were acceptable. That's why they took seven, seven pairs of the clean animals. Side note. Verse 19. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. Uh, you may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. Uh, you may give it to the alien who is within your gates, uh, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now, I didn't say this in first service, but this question comes up in my mind. What's the difference between an alien and a foreigner? Just throwing that out there for you Area 51 people. Um, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, that's funny, and not funny, but interesting. This last sentence there is the most important part of the kosher diet in Israel. You cannot serve dairy and meat together in the same meal. It's absolutely not hurt. You just don't do it. And of course, they misunderstand, obviously, even, even if you were following the Old Testament dietary law, this simply means you, you're, it's a respectful thing out of the two. So you don't have uh, the mother's milk and then you don't cook its baby in it. It's kind of wrong is the idea. How mean, uh, just the idea of it. But it doesn't mean you can't have somebody else's milk. Or some, it just, you need to be careful about that. So, either way, um, they wanted them to steer clear of that. Um, and another small side note, if you ever wonder what a locust is, you know, we kind of wonder, I think of a cicada, you know, what we call a cicada. Well, there's a locust, they come in, you know, they don't fly. Because John the Baptist ate wild locusts and honey, and that was kosher, and so they can't eat anything that flew, so it must have been just grasshoppers, what we would call a grasshopper, so eh, a little trivia. There you go. Okay. Tithing, tithing. Tithing means a tenth, a 10%, basically. And here's what he says about tithing. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Now, he says two things that are important. Of the increase, which does not mean, uh, like if you plant, plant, I don't know how much, how much seed costs. Suppose, is it $200,000 for seed? Is that way too high for 4,000 acres or something like that? I don't have any idea. Suppose you planted, to, for math's sake, help me out, $200,000 worth of seed. You got $300,000 back. You made $100,000. You tithe off that. You don't tithe off the $300,000. You don't write a $30,000 check. You write a $10,000 check. Does that make sense? So he wants to make sure they understand that. You tithe off the increase, not the total. Okay, so you can take out your business expenses, and then you tithe off of your, your profits, basically. The interesting thing he says here in verse 22, though, is you shall truly tithe. That's a little extra that he throws in there because you don't need to say that. You shall tithe, is how it could have been written, all the increase. But he says, no, you shall truly tithe. We've got to be careful about that. 
Now, we're going to get into the New Testament rules and, and suggestions on giving. Don't, don't, I don't want to be confused there. But there was a tendency to find as many loopholes as possible so you didn't have to give as much as you probably thought you're supposed to give. Truly tie the tenth. Okay, truly give a tenth. Um, and so he puts that in there so that they remember that. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. Remember, they haven't found their location yet. They haven't crossed the Jordan. When they get over there, they divide up the land. They're going to pick one spot to have Jerusalem, the place where they're supposed to worship. Okay, that's where we're at. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your heads of your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Convenience, smaller package, get it? And you shall spend that money on whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. So let me back up here a little bit. What's this thing? Well, obviously, $100,000 or $10,000 worth of grain might have been a lot. You know, I've got to bring like 12 carts or whatever. I don't know. Um, just change it for money. Carry one little bag with you. When you get there, buy whatever you want. And what he means by that is for your feast. It was always supposed to be a celebration. It was always supposed to be a time of rejoicing. They, they, never, they were never supposed to go to the temple with their hand on their wallet. Here we go. They're going to start asking me for money. You know, what a, what a terrible thing it is when you show up at church and people are like, oh, I wonder if it's the building fund day today. I wonder if we're going to get a sermon on giving today. You know, another one. Just bring 10 bucks this time, because last time they took your wallet and dumped it, so just bring the 10 bucks. You know, we came to worship God. We came to love Him, and it's supposed to be a wonderful time of, God has blessed me so much, I'm bringing this to Him as a token of my thanks and gratitude, and then as a part of that, you actually take some of that tithe, and you use it to have this wonderful feast with your family, celebrating what God's done and the blessings in your life. It's always supposed to be like this wonderful time. Yay! The kids should be excited. It's tithe day or tithe day of the year or whatever it is, you know. Hooray! We're going to have a huge feast and celebrate all that God's done and give him thanks and give him all the glory for the bounty that we've had. It was never supposed to be a hurtful thing or a sour thing. And so we have uh, in the New Testament some clarification for us because we don't have the tithe anymore. We call it a tithe. Did you tithe today? God never put a percentage on it anymore, okay? He's changed that. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let no one give, or so, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. It always is supposed to be a cheerful giving time. And so he just took the 10% out of it. Hey, whatever is you purposed in your heart. 
It's just supposed to be that way. Whatever you can do. He never wants us to give more than we can give. or whether It's never supposed to be that. The 10% was the maximum and the minimum at the same time. God's taken both of those specs. That's all. It's gone. You give as much as you want to give too. See, most of us think, oh, great, so I can give five? Yeah, but you can also give 20. 20. The problem that we have with it a lot of times is that we, we make 100%, we spend 120%. And so it's hard to come up with 10% for anybody. And so then we get in our minds, we think, well, I've got to pay my bills. God wants me to pay my bills, right? Well, of course he wants you to pay your bills. Don't spend so much. <laughs> spend 80 so that you've got the 10, you know, and then some savings and so on, some to live off of. In other words, be careful about this. But it's always supposed to be with a happy heart. In other words, if you can't do it with a happy heart, don't give. Don't give. It's always supposed to be. Here's why. When two things happen with tithing and giving, and uh, we get in the flesh. Pastors can get in the flesh, and people can get in the flesh. And when one of us isn't doing the right thing, both get in the flesh. That's how it starts. So it can either start with me. I've got this idea, and I have a lot of ideas, a lot of ways to spend your money. I've got lots of ideas. We've got a lot of acreage out here that needs to be filled. I'm pretty sure I know how to do it, too. And so I get up here because I'm excited, and I say, we've got a building fund. We've got a building fund, everybody. We don't have a dime in it, but we've got a building fund. And today's the day. How many of you want to give 1000 How many have got 1000 It turns into some kind of auction at church. You know, stand up, you who did 5000 Recognize flesh, pure flesh, absolute flesh. And that causes you to show up at church like this. Oh, he's going to take my wallet again, you know. And so you can't hear the word of God because you're worried about the money. So we both get in the flesh that way. On the other hand... On the other hand, pastors got bills to pay. Boards got bills to pay. And when people aren't doing what God puts on their heart to do and don't do it cheerfully, and they're in the flesh, that causes the pastor to get worried and concerned and to start walking the flesh too. And they start thinking, you know, I've got to pay these bills. The lights aren't going to pay for themselves. Just, setting over, just making the need known. Just letting the need be known. <laughs> you know. So we got responsibilities here. My job is to not fleece the flock. And your job is to not make me feel like I need to be in that position to fleece the flock. We've got to just pay our bills. If everybody just does what God puts on their heart and just does it, hey, everything works. It just works great. Um, if we don't, eh, we got problems. We get through them. I'm not saying every church that does a building fund. Nothing wrong with a building fund. I just don't think you pump people. You don't pump them. God's never got, and here's the, here's the final thing. We, we trade places with God. And what I mean by that is, when I stand here as a pastor with my cardboard side saying, we'll work for food every Sunday morning, I make God look like a beggar. I make God poor. I make God look like he needs us. And everybody's going, oh, poor God. Poor God's poor again. Here's a 20 spot. Go get yourself a sandwich, God. Man, it's always supposed to be the other way around. Oh, dear God, you are so generous, so giving, so much. Oh, here, you know, it's nothing, and you don't need it, and you've never needed it, and it's all yours anyway, and you've given it to me, but I want to give some back. Here, take it, you know, thank you. It puts us in the right position with God when we do it. But it's got to be done with a cheerful heart. It needs to be there because God loves that cheerfulness because we're thankful. We're not grudging. Um, so, little 
do that, he says. And do it with rejoicing, he says. Even in the Old Testament, you shall do it with rejoicing. Um, and your kids watch that, and they hear you, and they pay attention to that. The tithing, the generosity, they pick up on that, they learn from that, and they do it. They'll imitate that. They'll imitate stingy, and they'll imitate generosity. They'll do whatever you teach them to do. You know, that's super important, super important. Um, you want, to make, you want to make money your kids' gods? Be stingy. That's how you make money a god in their life. And they'll grow up that way. Don't want to do that. Bad. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your, of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. This is different. This is the third year. I want you to do this. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, and the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So every third year, we don't use that money. We store it so that people can draw from it. This is the first welfare system. It's mandatory, and that's been changed, in a, and I'm glad. Um, and I'll, well, we'll get into that here in a minute. But it's meant for God is concerned with the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and the poor Levite who doesn't have a crop and doesn't have a job. He does ministry, you know, so there's no way to bring money in unless he has a portion of what people bring. That's what they do. Um, so every third year, I want you to get this prepared for them. And remember the other rules, don't, don't, uh, don't harvest the corners of your field. Let them come in and glean and all that. Ruth would, would do that and allow them to glean. And so God's welfare program was in place. This is part of it. Now, we, uh, two things happen with a mandated welfare program. Uh, first of all, uh, it makes the person who gives bitter. How, how come I have to give what I've earned to pay for you not to work? And that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. And on the other side, those who receive oftentimes feel entitled to it. You owe it to me. I really don't owe it to you. And all of a sudden, what God meant in the New Testament, which we're going to read, to be a beautiful thing turns into a horrible thing, and there's division, and there's bitterness, and there's entitlement, and there's arrogance that builds up. And it's horrible. What God wants from us is you're not entitled to a thing. You need to be a blessing to all those around you who have less than you. And that gives me a love for the person who's poor, and the poor person a sense of gratitude and thankfulness, and it brings them together and it builds it up when it's not mandated. That's the idea. It's supposed to bring us together. We're supposed to have such a love for God and thanksgiving and gratefulness for all that he's blessed us with that we see the poor and the needy. We're like, oh my goodness, it's our dad's anyway. Take some of my, you know, whatever allowance God's given me. Here, take it, you know. Um, be blessed. And he'll, he'll encourage us to do that. Here's what he says. Um, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 gives us the permission to go ahead and give the five bucks, 20 or 100 bucks to the guy with the cardboard sign if the Lord leads you to do that. You don't by any means need to do that. In fact, most people would say don't. A lot of those guys are fake out there. Um, but here's what he says. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will pay back what he has given. I don't have to worry about whether he's going to buy a sandwich or a six-pack. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my responsibility how they spend that money. I can give it to them freely with a clear conscience. I've lent to the Lord. And God will pay me back. He always does. God will be a debtor to no man. Scripture tells us that. So as soon as you start letting money out of your wallet, saying, God, I just gave you a bunch of money. I don't want your money. It just comes right back to you. It's amazing how it works, how God sets it up. 
He likes it when we have pity on the poor. That's pleasing to him. He sees that because he had pity on us. We were poor, spiritually destitute, worthless, gone, lost. And he saw that and he paid the price for us. He paid the ransom. And so when he sees us have that same heart that he had, nothing makes a father more proud than to see his kids acting like they should. That's beautiful. So I don't have to worry about it. When I worry about, I don't know if he's going to spend the money on us. Maybe I should go take him to get a sandwich. I did that. I had this in my mind and I was out in California and there was this guy asking for money. I said, how about I take you to get some food? Sure. I didn't think it through. I'm like, oh, he took me up on it. So there I am sitting at this table watching this guy eat a sandwich and he was hungry. You know how guilty I felt afterwards? What a jerk. I mean, two things happened. We had great fellowship. I redeemed the time. We talked about Jesus. He knew Jesus. He just had down, you know, it worked out great. But afterwards I felt, you know what? You're a controlling, manipulative. You didn't need to, he didn't need to be babysat. You took away his dignity. I just felt horrible about it afterwards. I knew it was God's conviction. He goes, you know what? Give the money next time. I got it, dad. I got it. You know, and I'm not saying God wouldn't lead you to take someone to get a sandwich. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying this is how it is. Everybody gives money without taking anybody for dinner. No, I'm saying in that situation, he showed me my heart, my motives behind it were absolutely wrong. So you live and learn and you just give it away. Sorry, it's convicting. Um, I don't like it when he does it when I'm up here. <laughs> um, it is, it's convicting. Um, God loves generosity and he honors that because he's a generous God. All right, moving on. Um, I don't even know where I am. Uh, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, stranger, fatherless. Yeah, give him that. Okay, chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor um, shall release it. It's still coming, sorry. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. You'll see that theme constantly as we've been going through this. You do what I ask you to do, and you're going to be totally blessed. He's always going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about missing out. I don't know if we can afford it. You can't, you, you can't not afford it. To be obedient to God is the greatest thing. Being obedient to his word is the greatest thing. Okay, um, you gain so much from it. Anyway, release them. So these are people, in the, slavery. Is he talking about slavery? Well, not yet. It's similar. Um, this is a debt you've had um, for seven years, but I don't want you to be constantly, perpetually poor, constantly in debt. I don't want, it's a cloud for anybody to be in debt. Nobody likes it. You feel like you owe, and you do. <laughs> you owe a lot. Uh, so he says, every seven years, I want, the clear, I want it cleared out. And we're all cleared out. Um, and so I want you to do this. And don't worry about it. Just, to, just loan, no matter if it's the fifth year or sixth year and seventh year is coming, just give it away. It's okay. He's going to tell us that here. I'm going to cover it. Um, 
but do that. I want that release every seven years. You were released, and here's what he says, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. There's a principle here. Feel free to loan out, but don't you do it. Don't you take. Don't be a borrower like that. And no, we're not going to start doing financial peace and make everybody start, you know, keeping their debts straight. That's between you and the Lord. There is a bondage that is associated with debt. Um, And if anybody's ever been in it for a long period of time, you know what kind of bondage and what kind of cloud that feels. And maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're like, oh, preach. You know, I am in a cloud right now. Yeah, no, I'm good. I, my mustache catches it all, so it's okay. <laughs> I know, that's gross. Uh, stay out of debt the best you can, or get out of debt as fast as you can. And live by that principle. Live within your means. Live way below what you make. And stay there. Um, there is such peace. And, and, and then you're able to give to those around you without wondering. You know, you're able to do it. It's a blessing um, to stay to, to, to stay within God's word here, to take this advice slash commandment at this time. Um, it's such a good thing. Verse 7, if there is uh, among you a poor man of your brethren. Now, key word here, pay attention to that, brethren. These aren't just strangers. These aren't aliens. These aren't anybody else. These are brethren. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Not what you can't give, but what you can give, make sure you're opening your hand wide. It's big, not a little bit. It's a wide hand. Um, because that's what God has done for us. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. So in other words, the six years here, and you've got six more months before the seventh year release, and he comes up, he says, I need a loan. Like, wait a minute, six months, I've got to forgive this loan. Why don't we wait a year and a half and see, then, you know, Let's start off on year one. That way I've got six years to pay me back. He says, don't do that. Don't think that way. You're not thinking of it right. The parameters aren't rules to keep you from getting ripped off. It's to keep the, the, the rules or the, the parameters here are to make sure that there's blessing flowing, not restricted, you know. Um, be careful of that because that's an evil thought, an evil eye. It's something that's come into your mind, and I don't want that there. You're thinking wrongly about your brother. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. You'll be totally blessed if you do this. He'll take care of you. For the poor will never cease from the land. He just told us, now if there's no poor people, don't worry about this. Then he says the poor will never cease from the land. That's a quote. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 11. Actually, 10 and 11, he says, but when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? Remember, she poured the alabaster flask of oil on top of his head, this perfume and smelled, and Judas was mad. For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. He always knew there was going to be poor people. Now, that's, that's a lot of times, most of the time, by choice. 
Sometimes you find yourself in a tough spot, but God's given us a land in which we live in where we can grow out of that spot. Uh, we can get out of that. We don't have to live in that place. We can move on and, and, and find ways. You know, um, Some can, some can't. Don't misunderstand me. Disabled, things like that. There's some situations that come up. But for the most part, we have a way out of it. So you shouldn't be in perpetual debt uh, or perpetual poverty. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the, your poor, your needy, in your land. Now, I'm going to disclose something to you about our fellowship. Um, we help people that go to our church. And that's all I help. That's all we do. Um, and some people don't agree with that, but that's what we do. Here's why. You take the phone. Take the church phone for a week. And every day, two or three times a day, we'll get calls. Pay my light bill. Pay my water bill. Pay my gas bill. Pay my child support. Really? You know, no. Pay my bail. No. We, I say no. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Okay, why don't you go to church? Well, I don't really believe there's, I don't believe in God but you'll take his money. I've got a problem with that. Um, I'll tell you about Jesus. I'll tell you about the God I trust in, the God who provides for me. And honestly, if you believe and trust in the God who provides for me the same way I do, he'll provide for you and take care of you also. But if you don't want God, you can't expect the blessings. How come I'm not rich? How come I'm not blessed? Uh, please mis don't misunderstand me. I'm not a health and wealth guy. I don't believe that God just makes people rich and makes people healthy. I think we've got sicknesses and things go through our lives, and that's the way it is. But you can expect God's blessing when you're living outside of his will. When you're living in sin, God can't bless sin. And if you find yourself in situations like that where I don't worship God, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't want his salvation, I've rejected Christ, can I have some money? No. But, and, here I have, and this is New Testament too, you see that over and over again. Take care of your brother. Take care of your brother. And so we do. We open our hand wide to our brother. We just had a lady in first service who uh, it was heard from someone in the congregation. She needed a roof and didn't have money for it. And this guy walked around and asked a few people if we could, anybody want to donate to this? And they got a roof, roofs up on her house. Just did it. The church didn't really, we, I mean, as an organization, we didn't have anything to do with it. We offered, but they didn't need our, a check from us. They just did it. And that happens, and we do that, and you take care. And there's a blessing when you are, and she never asked. She never asked for it. She was just trying to work out how she was going to pay for it. She'd scheduled it and everything. We knew she didn't have it. And, and, and they got it worked out, this group of people. It's the body of Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, and so I disclosed that because not everybody understands that. They think they can just call and ask for money, and the church is this bottomless well of money. We use it carefully here. We make sure the brethren are taken care of. We make sure that the lights are on here. We pay our bills. Um, we give to missions, orphanages, things like that. People that don't go to our fellowship but definitely have no way of making any money. And we do that. So that's where we stand on it anyway, so far. Um, there is an occasion once in a while where we'll do something for somebody that doesn't go to our church um, occasionally. But for the most part, mm -mm, no. Um, we'd love to see you come to Jesus. Um, here's the thing. If you don't ever feel or experience what it's like to be outside of the will of God, full force, resting on your shoulders, you may not come to the Lord. Sometimes that's what it takes for people. They've got to feel what it's like. I'm completely on my own. I've completely rejected God. And here's where I find myself. That is the prodigal son's story. 
The prodigal son wasn't sending him checks over there. He found himself in the pit, wallowing in the mud, saying, why am I eating here with the pigs when I could be at home? Even as a servant, I'd eat better than, than everybody else around me. And he came home. See, the ultimate goal here is not that everybody have a sweet, easy life for the next hundred years while they're breathing on earth. The goal here is eternity. Jesus is the goal here. We want people to know Christ and the blessing there is to be had in his presence and under his authority and submitted to him. So hopefully that explains it. Verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, slavery we're talking about here, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. Now here's what he means. They weren't taken from their country and made slaves. They were dirt poor. They didn't have anything but themselves. They contracted themselves out for seven years to work for this person just so they could eat. Now, if Bob wants to do that, he can do that. He could sell himself into slavery, and he did at this point. But if Fred, who owns Bob for seven years, contract-wise, gets some custom combining done and can't pay his bill, he can send Bob over to that house. I got a contract for four years left on this guy. You want him? Will that cover it? Yeah, I'll take him. And so he would move, okay? So when you see this happen, remember at the seventh year, you got to let him go. You got to let him go. After he's sold himself to you, then you got to let him go. And when you send him away free from you, on that seventh year, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. Remember when they left Egypt, how much they came out with? 400 years of back wages. They took all the gold and everything with them. They got paid. And so they left. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl. That's how you make holes in leather. That's a big, big wooden handle and a big pointy. Take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Now that sounds kind of weird, you know. Okay, Bob. Boom, you know. How long do I stay here? No, it's just how they pierce the ear. You got to put wood on it. You just poke a hole in it, and it's no bigger. It disappears, and then they put an earring in, and that meant they were a bond slave. I choose to do this. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. I'm a, I'm a choice. I'm going to stay here, and they would be taken care of, almost like they were family. Uh, still had to work. I mean, you still had to be an employee. You still had to do, but you lived there. You ate there. You drank there. When they prospered, you prospered, and so on. I just want to stay here because I love you. Now, here's where we get into the Old Testament, New Testament thing that I promised, and then we'll close. I know I'm going long. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 6, about Jesus. And the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. That opening the ear is the all going through the ear. Here's what Philippians 5, 7, Paul says about Jesus. But he, Jesus, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus willingly put his ear to the door and allowed himself to be pierced, to become a bondservant of ours. Why? Same reason here in the Old Testament, because he loved us. I want to stay with you. I want to be with you forever, it says. I don't want to ever be separated from you. Don't send me on my way. I am bound to you. You see, God loves you. Jesus loves you. 
so much so that he became a bondservant, loincloth and all, washing the feet, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, but is going to bring you home with him. And now in turn, we follow that example. So we've got a wooden door over here, and I've got an all. No, but you willfully make yourself a bond slave of Jesus. That's what it means. Yeah, I want him to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for that. But I also put my ear to the door, and I say, I want to be a bondservant of yours forever because I love you. I don't want to ever be separated from you. I want to serve you all the days of my life, and for eternity, I want to be yours. And so that's the idea here. That's the picture. Also, your female servant, you shall do likewise, so they don't get out of it. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. You encourage us and you build us up and you tie it into the New Testament for us so we understand what it is that you've done for us completely. God, for those here this morning um, who needed help with mourning, for those who needed help with uh, tithing, for those who needed help with being a bondservant of yours, God, I pray that whatever you spoke to each heart this morning would stay planted, it would have deep roots and bear much fruit in their lives, God. That's our heart, is we want to learn more about you. We want to know you better, and we want to be more obedient kids. That's what we want. We want to look like you. We want to be like you. And so thank you for this this morning. So, Lord, the areas that we got convicted in, um, thank you for that. We appreciate that. We want to know where we're not walking with you, and we want to change course today. Lord, for those areas that we have right, that we are, that we are encouraged in today, thank you for that too. We need that encouragement. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.